you know, a lot of times there are things that happen behind the scenes that you're never aware of, and one of them is that this guy woke up this morning with literally no voice, and these ladies had to step in and rescue him on such a short notice, to which that was a difficult song to pull off in a couple of hours of pre-gathering work, wouldn't you say? So thank you so much, ladies, for doing it and stepping up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather and pause and reflect on things that matter the most. In a room this size, I, I, I can only imagine the, the hurt, the pain, the burdens that we have dragged through these doors, um, and then maybe that we're not even aware of. So as we explore today what you are saying through on the big screen, enable us to be free, free to embrace who we are, free to embrace who you've made us to be. And so, Holy Spirit, uh, flow in this place, flow in our hearts, and show us things about ourselves and about you that we haven't seen before. And may everything thought, everything spoken, and everything felt be blessed by you. Well, if you listen to Hollywood, you'll hear the cry of the culture, and you won't hear the answer, but you'll hear the cry, or you'll see the problem. Uh, our series here is God in the Movies, and... Uh, on average, movies entertain us. Uh, the best ones, when you actually do it, inspire us. And if you want to know where we're going next week, well, let me just say what, you know, movies can tell us about our own lives. It's, it's one aspect when we sit back and we watch and we see plenty of uh, our, ourselves actually being acted out on the screen. Now, one of the difficult things to do is to examine all the different genres of movies and try to glean out what's being said and if there's a common theme, and that's actually what we're trying to do here at Seoul. And I said last week that the movies are all about story, and we love to watch story. We like to see our story and your story and uh, God's story, actually, and how they all intermingle and they're played out on the big screen. A couple weeks ago, we looked at a romantic comedy better known as Weep Porn, um, we have looked at fisticuff, testosterone-laden movies last week with Creed. And uh, today the genre I'm looking at is a cartoon. Now, some people are always thinking, like, why cartoons? Well, you know, what do cartoons have to do with anything? Well, there are actually people within my own personal household who refuse to watch any animated movies. And yes, I know they need therapy because of that. But uh, most of us grew up on cartoons when you think about it. Bugs Bunny, for me, was my go-to, all right? It was. It, uh, uh, not the newer cartoons, but the old-school cartoons, the ones that weren't edited now on Looney Tunes because of the violence, as, you know, you now try to watch them today. You know, and I still kind of laugh when I watch the Bugs Bunny cartoons on TV today because they are edited, and yet... Um, I try to compare it with some of the contemporary cartoons on there and the stuff that they market to children now, and it completely blows my mind that they would have to edit Bugs Bunny. So here I am thinking about cartoons, and it got me thinking regarding, you know, the research. So I started doing some research, and I found it quite interesting that uh, exposure to violence makes it seem more acceptable to kids. This is what the research is telling us. And so today's animation, today's games are so realistic that the researchers are telling us that kids, uh, have, it's hard for them to tell the difference between pretend violence and live action violence, which makes some animation just as disturbing as the real thing. 
Lots of parents question uh, the violence in many of today's cartoons and many of today's video games. And yet, <laughs> you know, we, we, we grew up playing interesting games. We, for those of us, when video games first came in, what were you? You blasted asteroids or you started blasting aliens, right? Um, we grew up on Elmer Fudd. What did he carry? He carried a gun, right? The Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. What, what took place there? Well, lots of uh, violence. Um, and the fact is, in our favorite animated movies, violence was a key ingredient. But so was humor, when you think about it. And uh, the reassurance that no matter what happened, in a cartoon, nobody ever got hurt, right? And, uh, well, at least not fatally, because they were always sort of, you know, respawning somewhere else. And everything always ended well in the cartoons. In fact, you can argue that uh, aggression and hostility um, has been the linchpin for both cartoons and fairy tales since they first ever started coming out. That was what made fairy tales what they are. Now, there was a professor who at the Institute of Social Research says that there's little difference between the Tom and Jerry area of cartoons and the violence in cartoons now. And then he adds, except more graphic violence produces more desensitization, which I kind of laugh. I'm going, really? That, that blows my mind. I didn't know that. Another parenting expert, he said this regarding cartoons. He believes that cartoons are good for children. And he says this, cartoons prepare them it actually personifies the unknown to them. It, prevent, it presents conflict, drama, and pain in a matter that is indirect and impersonal. It happens to Wiley Coyote, never to anybody else. And I say this to, to, to say to parents, we can't be tricked into thinking that because a story is presented in a cartoon format that it has lesser impact on children. It's story, and it says a whole lot. Now, Again, I'm beginning, I go back in nostalgia, I think about, you know, what did I used to do when I watched cartoons, when I watched Bugs Bunny, when I watched Disney uh, on TV Sunday nights? Well, another thing I used to do is I used to play Indy 500. Now, for those of you who look at me and go, you liked Indy 500? I was young and immature at that time. But I used to play Indy 500 with my toy cars in front of the TV all the time. Now, uh, does anybody relate to that? Or am I the only one? Do, do I have anybody that used to play with toy cars? Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. You made me feel at home. You know, I, 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 my cars would actually begin to take on personalities of Dale Earnhardt, Cale Yarbrough, Richard Petty, Daryl Waltrip, and occasionally Mario Andretti, although that was formula racing and he didn't really fit into the 500, but it was there. And it was interesting to see, even here at Seoul, and this is one of the reasons why we have cars and stuff on the, on the floor around there. It's interesting to see that many children, young children, and some older ones of both sexes play with the cars. Uh, we see it happening every Sunday when you walk in here. And it may be predominantly the little boys, but girls have just as much fun with them as boys do. And uh, eventually a parent gets involved. Sometimes a parent, grandparent gets involved. And everybody's enjoying playing right along. Now... Toy cars may be one of the first big kid toys that kids see and enjoy. What do you mean by that? Well, they have a fascination with vehicles, perhaps because they can identify them very early because as soon as you leave the hospital, what do you put your kid in? You put them in a car. And uh, 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 so the kid learns literally from birth that driving a car is one way just to be like mom and dad. And 
because so many children start playing with toy cars. They continue to do so as years go on, and their play goes through definite stages. And it's interesting how researchers have broken that down. But in the beginning, children will not truly understand how to truly play with the toy car. They haven't really learned that, but uh, it starts to represent something for them. As a child, I began my car career um, by first putting it in my mouth. I'm not sure if any of you realize that. So I've been told. But then I began to wreck cars. I don't know if you know that. By, uh, there was a fascination for me in watching indie races and watching the cars wipe out. You know? And I think that's probably one of the reasons why people still go to these races, just to see the accidents, because they're so spectacular, and guys literally walk away from them unscratched. But again, crashing, and you always waited until there was somebody else that you could play with, that you could drive the car with, so to speak. And play, for me, would often turn into a giggle fest of some sort, because I'd walk up to my dad, and I would drive my car over his shoulders, over his head, right, or on his leg. And and if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, uh, it starts into this laughter and to eventually rolling on the floor with my dad. And I know I did probably the same thing with my own boys. And, and so what I realized is that playing cars um, with somebody was not so much the act of playing cars. It was the fact that it was the cars that brought attention to me. And eventually uh, play becomes more complex in our life. As it moves on, we add roads, we add a floor map, you know, you add obstacles in the way, or you get a Hot Wheels complete set with car washes, gas station, elevators, and stores. And of course, it brings imagination into play. And then a guy like me, you get the army man, right? And you bring the army man into it. And it's all out war, all out battle, all out races. And the next step in the development then for me was building model cars. I don't know if any of you have ever done stuff like that. But eventually the fun for me changed from simply playing to actually building a track or building a vehicle. And you know, again, I had a little guidance and experience from my brothers and my father. Uh, eventually I became adept at putting all the pieces together and, and building models. And uh, it, for me, I think that originally started with Lego and then it went on to the, the plastic model stage, the model miniatures. And in that process of starting with playing with cars, you develop hand-eye coordination. You know, I remember painting, and I'd take a toothpick, not a paintbrush, but you'd take a toothpick, and you'd dip it in paint, and you'd get the exact details going in, into 172nd scale, 150 scale. You know, it didn't matter what it was, but it was, it was there. And you started developing this hand-eye coordination, and your imagination started developing as well. And I think that that's one of the great things that playing with cars does for kids. Watch kids play with cars. Their imagination goes wild. And, uh, uh, and their, their, their experience grows along with it. And it, it just isn't the simply learning some sort of new game or something. Their, their imagination feeds on that experience. And it, it becomes part of their playmaking. And, and eventually becomes more and more realistic and more and more enjoyable. That's my story. That's cars. That's what I did growing up. That's my, my kids playing with them. And now, if you haven't put it together, we're looking at one of Pixar's classics, Cars 3. And uh, don't, as I said earlier, don't be tricked into thinking that because the story is presented in a cartoon format, it doesn't have a message or a lesser impact. Um, the first film that came out in the Cars series um, uh, had cars that talked, obviously, uh, filled... Uh, with personality, 
Everybody wanted to be a winner. It was, it was, it was a blockbuster success. Uh, it, uh, the theme behind it is that it just encouraged audiences just to slow down, you know, and to appreciate life. But it also leaned heavily towards marketing toys. <laughs> Go figure. So then Cars 2 rolls up, and uh, it was a transparent cash grab, and it bombs at the box, obvious, obviously. And so they take a risk, and they do Cars 3, and Cars 3 rolls up, and it, uh, right off the line, we're reintroduced to the winning ways of the legendary Lightning McQueen. He's our hero. Watch this. Blinkers on. What? No, it's not. Hey, your blinkers on. And into the pit goes Lightning McQueen, Bobby Swift, and Cal Weathers. These three are fun to watch, aren't they, Daryl? You know, Bob, I can't tell if they have more fun on or off the track. You got in a car wash too, Cal? No. You're getting a car wash, McQueen. Get them back, Cal. We gotta So here we have the lovable yet cocky star, the Piston Cup race car champion, Lightning McQueen, who nearly always won and uh, actually ate losers for breakfast, if I can co quote him. So it's interesting. I sat back and, and the first question regarding the different genres. And so this is what we do is we pick these different movies and we try to figure out, you know, what are these movies saying and how is there a theme that runs through it? And uh, that's why we're doing the movies that we're doing. And next week, next week is going to be a musical. So whether you like La La Land or The Greatest Showman, mm, you can watch either or. But there's a reason for why we're doing what we're doing. And it, it's interesting. And so you watch something like this. And, and the question is, what drives your life? What drives your life? Now, when we look at the Bible, it's very clear that our spiritual life, the Christian life, is, it's not a quick sprint. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks a lot about racing. Um, it, uh, our, our spiritual walk is like an Indy 500. It's a long-haul race. It takes time. Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. In other words, it's not a sprint. It's this long race. Galatians 5, 7, Paul's writing to the church. He says, uh, he talks to the believers and he says, you know, you were running a good race. And so we are in this race, but what's the purpose of the race that we find ourselves in? Proverbs 16, 4 goes on and says that the Lord works out everything to its proper end. In other words, to his purpose. And so our lives have 
purpose. Ephesians 5.15 tells us how we're to be careful how to live our lives. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And so we are to live our lives not as fools, unwise, but those who are wise. But the crazy thing is, is that, that, that wise or fools depends on who you allow to sit in your driver's seat of your life. And the different people are dr- driven by different things, Right? And the problem is, is when we put the wrong driver in the seat of our car. Now, there's a number of things that, that, that can drive our lives. So when I ask the question, what's driving you, you think about it. Some people are driven by possessions. Is that what's driving you? This desire to acquire, the, you know, more stuff makes us more happy and more money equals more security, which equals more happiness. You know, he who dies with the most toys wins is the same as he who dies with the most toys still dies but it is the pursuit of stuff driving you. Now, there's nothing wrong with possessions unless you allow them to be in the driving seat of our lives. The other one is uh, popularity. Now, some people are driven by the approval of others. And there's, again, there's nothing wrong with being popular, but when you're the driving force of your life is how many likes you get on Instagram or Facebook, then you can find that that's going to be pretty empty pretty quickly. You know, position is another wrong driver that we face in our society. And some people are driven by, by the position. They're on their way to the top. That's where they're going. They, they need to be the leader. They need to be the one in charge. And, and it might be somebody who's after a title or they're after prestige or a promotion. They're obsessed, even if I can say this, with an education level. You know how many letters or numbers they have after their name? That's a popular position of of power. So it's a B A M A M Div P H D L M N O P. You add, it goes on and on from there. And again, there's nothing wrong with having a position of education. Trust me. But if that's what's driving you, then it can be really tough when you're no longer number one. So what's driving you? The Bible says that the right driver for our lives ought to be God's purposes. And again, we've been going through this last couple of weeks, but the first purpose in, for you and for me, when you think about it, is for us to connect with God personally. The primary purposes of our lives, why we're here on this earth, is to connect with our Creator. Scripture says in Matthew, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest Notice what it says. This is the first and this is the greatest commandment. Did you hear that? The greatest commandment. It's about us being able to connect with God and to know him personally. And this is not new. It's not. But this has been his unchanging plan from the beginning of time. To think about it, that the creator of the universe wants you and I to know him and to be adopted into his family. Ephesians 1.5 goes on and says, For he chose us he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for his adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And so simply saying that this verse here tells us that God's plan for us, that he has this plan for us, and it, and it tells us how to connect with him. You and I connect with God through Jesus. We connect uh, with God when we become followers of Jesus, when we take that step. And that, that, that's when you believe that Jesus died for your sins. You know, some of us come here, we don't necessarily believe that. 
Well, this is how you connect with God. When you ask him to come into your life, when you ask him to forgive you. And at, and at that point, theologically, we see that we are adopted into his forever family. That our eternity is secure in heaven. Some call it being saved. Some call it being born again. But that's the first pur- purpose that we created. To be one-on-one with him. And that's just the beginning. But getting to know God is this ongoing process. It is this race that Paul talks about. And that happens to be what goes on for the rest of our lives. As long as we're breathing, we're in this race. After you become a Christian, after you've made that, that stance, your life pursuit is to be more like Jesus every day. And he will lead you to God's second purpose for us. Second purpose. And his second purpose for us is that we are to share God's love with others. If the first purpose is for us to get to know God, which is the greatest commandment, or the great commandment, depending on how you want to put that, the second purpose then is to help others to do the same thing as well. And we see that in Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the great commission. You have the great commandment. You got the great commission. And this should be one of the driving purposes for us. To share the good news. And that's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And as Christians, we should be people of good news. And and so how are we doing with that when it comes to the mission of sharing good news? You know, the two purposes of God-driven life is to connect with God personally and to share God's love with others. That's your takeaway this morning. That's our purposes there. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said that we are to be his witnesses. He's talking to to the boys and and the girls and to the rest of us. And, And a witness is somebody who simply retells the story. You have a story of, uh, of how God has worked in your life. And I believe you, you have a story. Some of I don't have a story. No, you have a story, and God wants you to tell it. And here's the thing. You are the expert when it comes to your story. And there is no one who can do a better job than you, uh, than you can on sharing what God has done in your life. You need to hear that. You need to be encouraged in that. And, you know, uh, where was Jesus when he said this in Acts 1? He, that, when he said these words to his disciples, he, he was in Jerusalem. And so the, the point is that we're to start at home in an area where, where the people are closest to us. And we start there and then we work out from those around us that, where we already have these relationships and it begins to grow. And Jesus wants us to continue to expand from there until the utter ends of the earth. And so what we see is that God is building a family and he wants members of it from all over the earth. And you don't need to quit your job today to do this. It's how you and I live our life. And maybe you're sitting there, well, Jerry, you you have no clue about my life. I can't share a thing. I've blown it, Jerry. Right? Really? Again, movies speak. In Cars 3, something happens to our hero. And what happens is they actually gets blindsided by a new generation of blazing fast cars. And he's outdated. And, and the legendary Lightning McQueen, 
he finds himself pushed out of the spotlight and ultimately he feels himself being pushed out of the sport that he loves and he tries to make a comeback. But then this happens. Watch. Storm takes back the lead. Unbelievable! McQueen is fading! McQueen is fading! Fading fast! No. 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 fascinating is that there's a couple of kids here watching what's going on and what are they doing they're on the floor playing cars it's awesome you know I know sometimes that we feel in life like we're doing so good right there are those times where we're doing great you know there are times in our life where there's victory after victory right and we're for some of us you are flying for Jesus if we could put it that way like life is good or God is good and your marriage how's your marriage oh my it's good and how's your job oh my job is good and all of a sudden for some reason something happens and what happens we crash you know lightning McQueen he this new rookie got under his skin and he overreacts and of course there's a wipeout on, on the screen and what about us? Maybe something got under our skin. Maybe something got to you. Maybe you crashed. Have you ever thought of life that way? Maybe you can look back in a moment in your life and when you wrecked, when you wiped out, when you crashed, and then literally everything was turned upside down. A moment when your dreams were dashed. A moment when your life came crashing down. And now again in our community, there's many of you that, you know what I'm talking about. We walk through it together. Maybe it was a divorce. Or maybe something happened between one of your kids. Or maybe you broke up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Or maybe it was a sin. Or maybe you got busted and you ended up going to jail. Or you got fired. Or maybe you got addicted to, to something or suffered the consequences of a sinful act, right? Or maybe it was just that you just got laid off or it was a financial setback or something that you prayed about just never really happened. Or maybe you were involved in a ministry that had a serious wipeout. And I think the fact of the matter is, is that we can all relate here. And whatever it was, you were running down the road and you remember you were just doing fine. But then all of a sudden there was a crash and you can relate because sometimes life just feels like that. You've just been blindsided. But here's the good news, in spite of all that, and if I'm talking, I'm bringing up pain, let me, let me just highlight the good news here, is that you survived. You're here today, you survived. Lightning McQueen survived his crash, but he, he's never the same again. And somehow, when we, you and I, when we go through stuff, it, it changes us, does it not? Uh, we often think about it, and, 
And the more we think about it, the more real sometimes it actually gets and even the more painful it gets because we find ourselves sometimes just stuck there and we can become discouraged. We can lose our purpose and we wonder if we'll ever be normal again, right? Now again, our star, he, or our hero, he survives in our movie, but most of the time, you and I, we will survive our crash, but we don't feel the same. The crash may not have killed you, right? But from the moment on of any of the things that I've highlighted that maybe resonate within your life, you've been different. And for most of us, you know, we've been hurt very deeply and you go through pain and it changes us, right? And sometimes when we go through pain, we lose our purpose in life and we even may lose our way. See, we're all in this race and we're all headed for the finish line and the fact is that we will all suffer some type of crash in our lifetime. Whether it's a hurt, whether it's a failure, whether it's a disappointment, a difficulty in our lives, it doesn't matter who we are. We're all going to suffer something. And if you had a spiritual crash, here's a spiritual truth for you today. The enemy doesn't want you racing again. The enemy doesn't want you in the winner's circle. He wants you retired from the things of God. He doesn't want you praying. He doesn't want you serving God. No, he wants you on the sidelines, hiding out, feeling that your life now has no value. He wants you to stop serving and, like I said, hiding in your house, full maybe of shame or of guilt. And, and again, the enemy is sitting there saying to you, you have no value. Watch this. Hey, lightning, come on in. Got something to show you. You ready? Uh, for what? Wow. You are about to become the biggest brand in racing. We are talking saturation on all continents for every demographic. Movie deals, infomercials, product endorsements. Mud flaps? Of course. We'll be rich beyond belief. You think you're famous now? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you'd be mad about the simulator. I mean, this is all great, Mr. Sterling, I guess, but I don't know. I never really thought of myself as a brand. Oh, nor do I. I'm a fan. Maybe you're most avid. I think of this as your legacy. <laughs> it sounds like something that happens after you're done racing. Mr. Sterling, what is this about? Look, Lightning, I'm not going to race you. What? What do you mean, not race me? Hold on, hold on. I'm not going to Florida? Lightning, you have no idea how excited I was to get you here because I knew, I knew you'd be back. It was going to be the comeback story of the year, but your speed and performance just aren't where they need to be. I'm sorry. Well, we're talking about speed on a simulator. Listen how crazy that sounds. Look, I'm trying to help you. As your sponsor, yes, but also as your friend. Your racing days are coming to an end. Every time you lose, you damage yourself. Damage the brand, you mean? Oh, Lightning, come on. You've done the work. Now move on to the next phase and reap the reward. The racing is the reward, not the stuff. 
I don't want to cash in. I, I want to feel the rush of moving 200 miles an hour, inches from the other guys, pushing myself faster than I thought I could go. That's the reward, Mr. Sterling. Oh, Lightning, come on. I find it fascinating. Because if we've suffered a crash in our life, Satan's going to tell us that God can't use you anymore because of your hurt, because of your fa uh, failures, because of your difficulties. You know, don't you remember, Jerry, when you crashed or, you, you know, you're messed up or here are your problems? You know, you're out of the race. Those are the words that we, we hear or that we tell ourselves. And, and this is what happens to McQueen when Sterling says to him, your racing days are coming to an end. You're done. You had a crash. Every time you crash, you're not as good. And Satan, I believe, actually, because we live in a spiritual battle that we don't like to address. And so Satan has this agenda for, for those of us who have gone through something painful. He tells us we're no good. We beat up on ourselves. He tells us that God can't use us because of your hurts or because of your failures or because you're not worthy, right? And yet, when we look at Scripture, we see in John 8 that Satan is simply a liar. And Scripture says that he's an accuser and that he will bring up every failure of our past and that our crash all the time, he'll be bringing it up and he's telling us, look at you're out of the race, you're out of the race, you're out of the race. And let McQueen here, before he had the crash, you know, he suffered a defeat, but... And, and once he began losing, then the voices started telling him that he was all washed up. In fact, even his new sponsor, like I said, says, well, your racing days are over. And, and so for McQueen, both his loss and his crash is a very public thing, much like to us. When we screw up, when we fall, when we sin, to us, it's a very public thing. We think that everybody knows what's going on. And in some cases, everybody does know. In the movie, McQueen is ridiculed by the news. He's laughed at by the younger racers, the faster racers. And actually, in one scene in the movie, you hear you had the once foremost proud Lightning McQueen in a garage, painted in primer and embarrassed to be seen in public. And that's actually sometimes how we carry ourselves after we have crashed, is it not? Don't want to be around people. We just want to hide. I want to use the word wallow. But you need to know that your pain has a purpose. And maybe you have experienced a crash. Maybe you have experienced heartache. Maybe you have experienced difficulty. Rick Warren says this, God, God often reveals God's purpose for you and even your life as a result of going through difficult, painful, and hurtful moments. In other words, God never wastes a hurt. Isn't that awesome? And if you've gone through a hurt, he wants you to be able, now listen, he wants you to be able to help others who are going through the very same hurt. He wants you to share it. We want to bury it. He wants you to redeem it. And here's the amazing thing. God can use your problem. He can use your hurts to give you a ministry to other people that you have never even dreamed of. The very thing that you're most ashamed of in your life or, or maybe the very thing that, that you resent the most can actually become your greatest ministry in helping other people. Think about that for a moment. Who can better help somebody going through a bankruptcy than somebody else who's already gone through a bankruptcy? Who can better help somebody who's addicted to porn than somebody who's been set free from lust? Who can better help somebody struggling with an addiction than somebody who's already struggled and overcame that addiction? Who can better help parents of a special needs child than parents who have raised a special needs child? Who can better help somebody who's lost a child or a loved one than somebody else who's lost a child or a loved one? 
Are you ringing with me this morning? The very thing that hurts you the most in your life is what God wants to use for good. I hear crickets. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, God who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. There are many different causes for the problems and the pains and the sufferings in life. There are many different, sometimes the stuff that happens, let's be honest, we do stupid things. We have choice. We make stupid choices. And therefore, some of our problems are because of that. Some of our problems are innocent, right? We've been hurt and, and, and by the pain, by the stupidity and the sins of other people. It has hurt us. But God often allows us to go through a problem so then that we can help others. And God comforts us. Why? Because scripture says so that we can be a comfort. That we become his ambassadors. That we become his agents. And I don't care who you are. God wants to use you to touch somebody else's life. That's a phenomenal thing. God can take that which the devil meant for evil and for pain and he can turn it around and use it for good. He can take that something that the devil wanted to curse you with and he can turn it around and use it for a blessing. He is God. He can redeem it. And this is what Jesus did. When you think about it, he took, he took that cross on his back. He put the thorn of crowns on his head. He, he had his back whipped. He died on the cross. He didn't deserve to die, but he went through all of that. Why? So that we could have the forgiveness of sins, so that we can have connection with God the Father, and so that we can also have eternal life with him. Well, Jerry, you have no idea what the wreck of my life is. It really doesn't matter how wrecked you think your life is. We serve a God who is big enough to put it all back together. It doesn't matter how big the wreck in your life or how difficult it seems or how big the conflict seems. We serve a God who can bring all things out to his honor and to his glory. You know, you look at the scriptures. Look at the great wipeouts of the scriptures. King David, Right? Guy goes out, kills Goliath, becomes king. You know, he's a big hero. Goes up, walking around, has an, sees this woman bathing, calls her over. Everything's improper. Has an affair, gets her pregnant, murders her husband, baby dies. In spite of all of that, here's the crash of a great man of God. When you think about it. In spite of all that, his greatest victory is laid ahead of him. He could have given up. He could have stopped serving God. He could have abdicated the throne. But instead, he humbles himself. He repents. He goes on to serve God. And Scripture records him as a man after God's own heart. Well, that's David, and that's the Bible. Oh, my favorite is Samson. The guy with supernatural strength, never vowed to cut his hair, you know. Um, eventually, Samson lays his head in Delilah's lap one too many times. Secret gets out, finally, but the strength of, you know, the source of his strength is his hair. She tells the Philistines, they come in, they cut his hair. And what happens to Samson? His life literally comes to a crashing halt. And actually, his story is a, a pitiful story. There's a whole bunch of crazy stuff in there. And he's bound up and he's chained. His eyes are plucked out and he's now a mockery. He's a showcase. And yet, the guy still has one prayer to God. 
And when you turn to her, he says, Samson prayed. God, I crashed. Help me to get back in the race again. Just one more time. Just one more time. And God grants his request. It was interesting. I need to say this this morning. that God has something for you to do, and it doesn't matter how many times you've crashed. It doesn't matter. Look at the scriptures again. Peter, the same guy who cursed Jesus to prove that he wasn't a follower, a few days later stands up. He begins to preach on the day of Pentecost, and and 3,000 people are converted. Moses, he struck the rock uh, with his staff, uh, instead of doing what God commanded him to do was to speak to it. No, Moses thought it was better for him to, to strike it. And what happens to Moses is now, because he is disobedient to God, he's forbidden to enter into the promised land. And while well, we don't read about Moses, yes, we do. Open the New Testament. It is Moses that appears with Elijah and Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses shows up. Look at if you've crashed, get back up. If you relapsed, get back up. If you got hurt, come to Jesus, get healed, and get back in the race. He's not done with you yet. You know, Cars 3 delivers this remarkable story as well. And, and it's very interesting about growing older and the importance of mentoring the next generation, to which is something that I'm struggling with right now. It's my world right now. I got in my notes. This is my gut check right here. It's a parable that uh, I think that actually speaks directly to the church today when you look at it. Because some people say that the church today is in crisis. Well, as I look at the church at large, I've seen conflict, man. I've been in the conflict. I've been through the worship wars. And I've seen the conflict between the younger and the older believers within the church. And some of you have as well. And older aged Christians have accused the the next generation of being lazy or being entitled or being uncommitted to biblical truths. Meanwhile, young aged believers maybe see the current leadership as ignorant or unloving and in some cases even hypocritical. And the results within the church has been this massive invisible schism uh, which has only served to weaken both sides. And now we find ourselves with this new term called millennials, right? And and millennial Christians now find themselves being spiritually rootless, if I can put it that way. And while the older generation is increasingly embattled and they're trying to navigate the, the modern issues that are coming into the church, and we witness this struggle when you think about it in a cartoon, and how? Well, after suffering a humiliating defeat by the up-and-coming rookie, Jackson Storm. All right? Watch this clip. Another great finish in the making. McQueen and Swift, nose-to-nose. How's the view back there, Bobby? <laughs> well, you better not blink. I'll blow right past you. The flag is out. It's the final stretch. McQueen in the lead. Okay, let's see what you got. Oh, it's Jackson Storm for the win. 
huge upset. Neither Lightning or Bobby ever saw him coming. It's one thing to start fast, but we haven't seen anyone cross the line with that kind of speed and power since a young Lightning McQueen first arrived on the scene. Hey, Bobby, who is that? That's um, Jackson Storm. Yeah, he's one of the rookies. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, Jackson Storm, right? Great race today. Wow. Thank you, Mr. McQueen. You have no idea what a pleasure it is for me to finally beat you. Oh, thanks. Wait, <laughs> hang on. Did you say meet or beat? I think you heard me. Uh, what? Storm, can we get some pictures? Yeah, yeah, come on, let's get a picture. You know what? Get a ton of pictures, because Champ here has been a role model of mine for years now. And I mean a lot of years, right? I love this guy. I think I touched a nerve. Chick Hicks. I'm your host, former and forever Piston Cup champion, Chick Hicks. This just in. Rookie Jackson Storm slams the proverbial door on Lightning McQueen. Oh, I couldn't have enjoyed it more if I'd beaten McQueen myself. Oh, wait, I have. <laughs> but enough about me. Here to tell you how it happened is professional number cruncher, Miss Natalie Certain. It's a pleasure to be here, Chick. And actually, I prefer the term statistical analyst. Right. So, who is this mysterious newcomer, Jackson Storm? And why is he so darn fast? It's no mystery if you study the data, Mr. Hicks. Jackson Storm is part of the next generation of high-tech racers, unlike the veterans of yesterday. Whoa, what, what old-timers like this guy? Ha <laughs> ha. Um, right. Storm achieves his top speeds by exploiting the numbers. I refer, of course, to racing data, tire pressure, downforce, weight distribution, aerodynamics, and next gens like Storm are taking advantage. The racing world is changing. And for the better if it means my old pal Lightning is down for the count. Am I right, certain? Well, if I'm certain of anything, Chick, it's that this season is about to get even more interesting. So when are you gonna retire? And I think it's interesting because when we look at the church world, that there's something that you have to be aware of is that Satan begins to tell a generation of people that their time is over. This is actually what happens in this, this, this film. The, the new generation model comes out, and soon they're saying, you're done. It's, it's time for you to step aside. It's time for you to retire. And when we meet uh, a gifted trainer named Cruz Ramirez who who offers to help McQueen to get back on track, it's obvious that, that McQueen doesn't think much of this young upstart. And so you here you have this older person and he scoffs at her high-tech gadgets and this logistical training methods as if, you know, you know, like what does this veteran have to learn from somebody that's younger with all this, this technology? And at the same time, Cruz, this trainer, treats McQueen like he's a problem that needs to be fixed. Uh, even going so far as to, to label him her senior project, right? And so there's no acknowledgement of his accomplishments or his experience. There's just a demand that, hey, McQueen, if you want to get back in the race, you just need to get back into the times. Get with the times. And I think many Christians overlook how scriptures emphasizes the need for committed and mutually respectful mentorship. 
Older believers have always been responsible when you look at scriptures for the shepherding uh, of the next wave of Christians into maturity. And here's a powerful truth. Wisdom does come with age. And at the same time, they're also responsible, as older leaders, we're responsible for providing them, uh, this younger generation, with positive role models. To not exasperate them with our teachings. And this mentorship then begins to help weave two sides together. And the elder Christians passing on their wisdom to the younger ones. Adapt to changing a world. And it's as scripture says, it's like iron sharpening iron. Let me talk to you older folk today. Because it's interesting, there's always somebody younger than you. Right? I need to say this. Your influence, your ministry, your prayers are not done until you're gone to be with Jesus. In fact, I have a promise in Psalm 92. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. So God wants to use the older generation, but it may be in a different way. God uses you in one way when we're young, but it could be in completely different way when we get older. Cars 3 really drives this message home. Audiences see how after the initial disagreement, lightning becomes uh, a valuable guide for the trainer crews. He teaches her the fundamentals of racing without even knowing it. He helps her discover the contender that she never thought that she could be. And meanwhile, Cruz at the same time encourages Lightning to stop fretting over changing the world and instead to create a legacy that he can be proud of. See, when the church begins to operate in a similar manner, the kingdom of God not only stands, the kingdom of God begins to thrive. And it will always be disagreements between one generation and the next, but we can pursue God together. And when we pursue God together, arm in arm, we become the champions that Christ has called us to be. You have something for somebody younger. And I don't care If you're in high school, I don't care if you're in university, I don't care if you're in the workforce, I don't care if you're close to retirement, and I don't care if you are retired. You have something to offer to somebody younger. One of the greatest moments of the movie, McQueen realizes that his job is not to to run the race. He just has the aha moment. It's not for him to be out in front, but rather he but rather he realizes he needs now to mentor and to coach the next generation who are running the race. Watch this clip. Get ready, guys. Luigi, Guido, tires, Fillmore, fuel. Okay, I'm here. What's going on? No, not me. Her. What? What is she doing back Come here? Come on, guys, get her set up. Quickly. Okay. Wait, what's happening? Hey, Ramon, you got your paints? You know I do. Wait, guys, what are you doing? Man, I don't understand it. McQueen's just sitting there. Something's got to be wrong. Mr. McQueen? Today's the day, Cruz. You're getting your shot. What? I started this race, and you're going to finish it. What? She'll damage the brand. She's just a trainer. No, she's a racer. Just took me a while to see it. That can't be legal. The rules only say the number has to be out there. Doesn't say who has to wear it. No, you can't do that. Hey! 
Did I tell you how much I love your mud flaps? Out of my way, Bumpkin. Yeah, I got my fishing flaps, got my church flaps. We're going out eating flaps. Come on, guys, we gotta get her out there. Let's go. Fires. Jack, you, Jack, Ramon. Uh, best I could do in the time frame, boss. Yeah, that'll work. Why are you doing this? You said it yourself. This might be your last chance. Which makes it my last chance to give you your first chance, Cruz. And this time I want you to take it. She's got to beat that pace car out. No, 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 you can't do that. Now or never. What do you say? Oh, hey, 35 mile per hour pit speed. I knew that. Queen's team has entered a different car sporting the 95. I don't believe what I'm seeing. So McQueen makes a switch, right? No longer running, but the one now who is encouraging Cruz to take over. Last week I asked the questions, you know, what is it that you're fighting for? Remember? And who is in your corner? And whose corner are you in? And McQueen learns that racing isn't just about the current lap or the current session. It's, it's a living tradition that must be received and passed down to the next generation. It's like our faith. And God wants you to mentor somebody in the next generation. And like I said, it doesn't matter where you find yourself in the pecking order. You don't wait until you're 60, until you're 70, until you're 80. You may never have that time. It's time starts now. Who are you coming alongside that's in the next generation? God is looking for some people with more life experience to coach and to mentor the younger people who are just getting started in their walk with God. And that actually is the most biblical thing in, in the scriptures. And I can give you a whole list of individuals in the Bibles who ran their race, and, and some ran their race well, and some had their crashes, but they all made a switch. They all began to mentor others. Moses, he mentors Joshua. Naomi takes her daughter-in-law uh, in. Uh, Ruth, Ezra mentors Nehemiah. Elijah does uh, mentors Elisha. Paul mentors Timothy, and also he mentors Priscilla and Aquila, who in turn mentor Apollos. We see this pouring out in scriptures, but one of the greatest mentors in the Bible was this guy by the name of Barnabas. And there are some interesting things that we learn about Barnabas, and the first thing is, is that he was generous with his finances. Acts 4, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned, he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, while being a mentor doesn't require you to give money to people, but it does cost something of yourself. It costs something to be a mentor. Another thing he did is that he began to reach out to the apostle Paul. And when Paul was, you know, formerly known as Saul, Saul was this enemy of the church. That was what he was known for. But of course he gets converted, and he starts to speak tell his story. He begins to preach the gospel, but nobody's believing him. Other Christians are skeptical of him, right? But Barnabas took the risk, and he, what does he do? He reaches out to Paul. He begins to mentor him. Barnabas then told the rest of the disciples the story of Paul and how Saul on his journey meets Jesus, and he's knocked off his horse, and Jesus speaks to him, and he goes to Damascus, and he preaches fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And then another thing Barnabas does is that he begins to spend time with this other guy. And again, in scriptures, tell us his name is John Mark. And John Mark had a crash. 
And even though John Mark failed earlier under Barnabas' determination, under Barnabas' encouragement, he becomes a great man of God. And if it's not for Barnabas, when you look at this, we wouldn't have Paul's writings in the New Testament, nor would we have the Gospel of Mark, uh, nor would we have the spread, rapid spread of the Gospel. Because Barnabas was doing the purpose that God had called him to do. And God's plan to mentoring needs to be seen today in the church. This is my plea to you. We all need a purpose in our life. You all have plenty of life experience to give regardless of your age. Younger folk, you and I need to honor those who have been around the track a few times. They have something that we can learn from. They have something to share. Older folk in the movie, McQueen states, I can't go out on the track and do the same thing. It won't work. There was a realization there. It was clear to him that he had to change his old ways of doing things if he wished to have a standard chance with his newest contenders. McQueen, he, he appears brash. He's overconfident about his knowledge of racing, especially when he's operating the new racing simulator, uh, which results in, because of his cockiness, he destroys the machine. And this evidence that no matter how good you and I are, chances are there still might be things in life which we don't know about. And accepting that sooner than later can be the first steps towards managing any challenging situation that comes in our path. And so whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a working professional, there's no limit to learning and to continuously reinventing ourselves. And I love what one of the mentors says. His name is Smokey. And he says this to McQueen. He says, you'll never be the racer you once were. You can't turn back the clock, kid, but you can wind it up again. Everyone, listen, we need to honor those around us who have crashed. And even those who have had major setbacks in life. Sometimes we tend just to put them out on the dirt track. Why? Because we need to honor these people. Why? Because they do have some wisdom. And sadly, there are those who naturally share their life experiences and, and wisdom. They, they have something to share, but they're not involved. And a lot of times people, you know, something happens in their life, and what they do, they stay home instead of being part of community. They need to come. They need to be part of community. And it's simply about a willingness to share our lives and to do life together. Someone once said that mentoring is a process of opening our lives to others, of sharing our lives with others, a process of living for the next generation. In Cars 3, there's four generations of mentors. Lightning McQueen was mentored by a guy named Doc Hudson. Hudson was mentored by Smokey. And then, of course, Cruz Ramirez, as we see on the end, was mentored by McQueen. So do you have somebody in your corner? Who's pouring into your life? Do you have somebody that you can go to wise counsel? Do you have someone who's actually a godly example for you and a model worth uh, imitating? Do you have somebody who has sold out biblical values and spiritual ministry? Do you have someone with solid skills that can help you improve where you're weak? It's a question I asked my staff, and it was a great conversation about what everybody was saying who pours into their lives. So what's your next step? Because if you've never taken the first step that I've talked about, it begins with connecting God personally and entering into a relationship with his son, Jesus. 
And I want to encourage you to take that next step and to open your heart up to God because I believe that, that God is going to show up and, and, and take that next step towards you, right? Because I have to be honest because that's re- really what I want most for you. Whether you're new to God or you've been a Christian for a long time, we need to take that next step. If you're new to God and you're going, you know, Jerry, I'm with you. I want to take that. Just pray a simple prayer with me. It's like, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Renew me for your purposes. I want to know you. And I want to make you known. If you mean that, if you've prayed that, if you said that, if, if you felt that, fill out one of the welcome home cards there and, 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 and either throw it in the joy basket or, or give it to somebody at the, the welcome desk when you leave and we'll, we'll follow you up. We're not going to stalk you or do anything like that. We're just going to want to give you support. We want to help you. We want to guide you in your relationship. And if you've already done step one, then your next step is to share his love with others. Again, Acts 20 says, however, I've considered my life, this is Paul writing, I've considered my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. How are you doing when it comes to sharing the good news with others? Are the people around you in your world being influenced by you and by God? That's your next step. Invite somebody. Invite them to the series next week. Invite them to hear your story. Invite them over for a coffee. Invite them and begin the next step. Let's pray. Father, you're calling us to always to respond to your voice. And so what is it that you're actually saying to us individually today? And what is it that you're, you're saying to us as soul sanctuary? What's maybe out of order in our lives today? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to get straight with you? May we commit ourselves to taking your words to heart. And God, we thank you and we ask you to continue to protect us from the evil one. So Father God, we pray that your spirit will open our ears to hear your voice. And my my prayer, Lord, for those who have crashed, those who are wrecked, those who have spun out, those who are suffering, I thank you for encouraging us, for giving us glimmers of hope. But for those who buy into the lie that our life is determined by our suffering and it controls us, I pray that you would help them to realize that they have choices and that, God, through you and your Holy Spirit, we can break free. And we have choices and we are starting maybe to realize that because I do think about people who are carrying brutal stuff today for the breakups, the divorces, the diagnosis, the pain, the suffering, the loneliness, the confusion. My prayer is that you would help them to take Jesus' word seriously, that he is with us until the end of this age. Because all the other options are just a waste of time, God. Help us to embrace and to be empowered with the simple idea that we have a choice in how we respond to the situations in which we find ourselves and what kind of people we are going to become out of them. Help us to feel empowered in the midst of darkness and suffering, that we can actually respond well. Help us not only to impact our our environment, but to impact those who are also needy around us in so many ways, that we get our eyes off ourselves and onto you. And God, you place people in our path that need your help. 
but you put us in places of opportunities and you are looking for us to be involved in the processes of healing and helping even from our own wrecks and wipeouts. So God, today, this day, starting this moment, may we be mindful of that every day as we go into this week. God, I thank you. I thank you for this community. I thank you for the stories. And now empower us by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit to reach out to the world around us, to share the good news, to be ministry uh, agents of your healing, Lord, to be mentors for those who need to hear a voice, who need somebody older to speak in life. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all those who agreed said amen. Stand with me. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for blessing those receiving blessing did likewise. Here it is. Soul Sanctuary, as you leave this place this morning, remember to pray for our youth and that they get a safe drive home arrival around 1.30. But here it is. May God's blessings of joy abide within you. May God's blessing of peace rest upon you. And may God's blessing of love flow out through you. Why? To impact the world around you in which he has placed you. Now go and live the church. See you next week.